0: Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in child care. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie.
1: So this week's episode that is coming up has some kind of graphic description of injuries. Don't listen to it while you're eating or if you have a woogie stomach. Um, it's an important topic. But we wanted to let you know in case you're listening to this while having your morning breakfast tacos.
0: Welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. Carrie and I are so glad that you are joining us today. Today, we are going to talk about whoops. (laughs) So, basically, we are going to introduce a three week series. Of what to do when somebody falls, when you have that child staff, um, or even yourself who perhaps maybe has um, gun- more than a cut, more than a cut, a significant injury. <laughs> more than more than a band-aid. And so, Carrie, why don't you share with us a scenario related to a kid? Um, I've got a couple in my back pocket, unfortunately, but let's go ahead and start with a scenario um, that you've worked with that perhaps maybe your staff, um, let's start with a great one. Let's have start with one that your staff handled
1: exactly the way they were supposed to. Well, I've been remarkably lucky considering how many years I've been in the industry. Um, so the two that popped into my head, both have to do with infants. Um. And so um, the one I want to talk about is um, a child brought back from the playground a leaf, which they failed to disclose to the teachers. Um, And so the kid had, I don't know, stuck it in their overalls or something like that. And so they washed their hands and then put them immediately in the high chair for snack or lunch. And. The child sitting there while the teacher's back is turned getting food together. The child takes the leaf out and puts it in their mouth. Um, And again, the teacher didn't, I mean, we're we're presuming that's what happened because nobody was watching, right? Um, And the child didn't have the leaf in their mouth when they came inside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so they're feeding this child um, spoon food, you know, mushed up bananas, mushed up peas, And the child starts to not be able to swallow um, and ended up that the leaf was blocking their airway. Um, And so when the teacher saw that the child wasn't swallowing (laughs) um, and then the child then was like, wait, this child's not breathing. And then they took the child out of the high chair, flipped him upside down, did a nice little thump on the back leaf comes out that's how we know that that's what the problem was um and the child starts screaming um and then the child immediately wants to eat because they're hungry and they're mad and the teacher's like i'm not giving this child uh food right now they need to be checked out by a doctor so um they went and gave the child a bottle figuring milk would be okay Uh, to help the child calm down and get something in their tummy while they waited for the squad to come. Great, great.
0: So I love that example. And I love how you shared what the teacher did. So what are the other bits and pieces that were left after that? So we got the squad
1: came, what else kind of happened at the same time? Um, So the teacher went with the baby in the squad, because that's what you do. Um, and this was way back in the dark ages when we didn't, everybody didn't have a cell phone. Um, so when they got to the hospital, the teacher called the school to say, uh, we've arrived. This is the hospital we are at and, you know, we're good. This is the update. And then, uh, parents were called, said, this is where the child is. Child was back at the center the next day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. And so, um, are there stipulations
1: to letting regulatory agencies know how does that work? Well, here in Texas, um, licensing would have to be notified within 48 hours of that happening. Okay. All right. Well, I think it's two business days, but I just put it in everybody's head as 48 hours because I've known centers to get cited because they're closed for you know, Memorial Day or whatever, and something happened on a Friday and they didn't notify within two days. Well, it's two business days, but some licensing reps get a little wound up. So I just tell everybody 48 hours. I think that's a great safety caution. So um, I mean, two that I'm going to give. Okay. But I was going to say one of the the things that I know there's probably, you know, a couple of people listening to this going, wait, why were the parents not called until, (laughs) The kid got to the emergency room. One, this was back in the days when not everybody had a, a cell phone, so you couldn't text. But I definitely wouldn't text your child's in an ambulance either. Um, and you know, I live in a metro area where there are multiple hospitals. And until you know which hospital that ambulance is going to land at, I don't think you should call. If you know that the child is going to go in an ambulance. Don't call the parents until you know where the ambulance landed.
0: Well, and, and also because of the Metro that you're in, um, make sure that, um, well, obviously you're taking the health form and the health release form from the child's folder, which might actually have a hospital request since we do actually now have children's hospitals in our Metro, uh, when we did not necessarily have specified children's hospitals, Um, That may not have necessarily been an issue. And um, depending on when you're listening to this broadcast, um, at some point in time in the Austin metro, we will actually have two Dell Children's Hospitals, just we will have a North and a Central. So we will need to make sure that people continue to really be communicative and include addresses or details, because even telling that you're with Dell especially right now, I automatically assume that's the children's hospital, but there is a Dell Seton campus downtown or not downtown, but north of downtown by the university that is a teaching hospital. And it still goes by, it goes by Dell. So Dell is no longer just the children's hospital.
1: Well, but also the thing that I think a lot of parents, directors, you know, human beings don't know is that You can have a request, but that doesn't mean that that's where the ambulance is going to drive, Mm -hmm. because if the ambulance, if the EMTs, paramedics, whatever, think that this child is in acute distress, they're probably going to take them to the closest hospital, not necessarily the children's hospital, or if they think it's a child specific thing and they need to have a pediatric radiologist or whatever, then they're going to take them to the hospital that has more expertise with that. Even if that's not the one the parents put on the form. Right.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And you you don't necessarily get to decide where the squad's going because it also may be um, the medical director who's over that agency um, may also, and it may be also crowded crowd situation. So again, if you're talking about a holiday weekend, um, that perhaps is the problem, you know, if everybody and their brother is also doing things that Friday or that
1: Monday, (laughs) there's a good chance that those emergency rooms might be a little busy. Yeah. So I know that there've been things that happened to your physical, you know, your personal children (laughs) at childcare centers. Um, so why don't we do the, the, let's kind of escalate. So we have somebody who choked. Now let's go to um, your second to youngest child. (laughs) So um, Carrie just shared with us a story of a,
0: an infant um, or, or young Todd. um, But since they were eating off of a spoon and somebody was feeding them, we're going to go with an infant. Yes, definitely an infant. (laughs) and so the one I'm going to share next is actually, um, a toddler scenario, and so we all have that toddler who, just because they can walk, or or as they learn to walk, they go where they want to go, um, and may not necessarily go where, as a teacher, you're wanting them to go, and so the program that, um, my third child went to, um, they were about two and a half, and they it was a program with lots of doors and lots of doors that would kind of, you know, open and close, um, not necessarily automatically, but there was a delay. So it kind of um, pneumatics is that mm-hmm. how you describe those. So they would kind of close slowly, but then suddenly. Um, and so in this situation, um, we did not handle pickup that day at school It was actually uh, done by their mom. And so the mom picked them up from school, um, took them home. And so as far as mom or dad knew, um, it was mom to begin with. Nobody called during the school day when mom picked up um, that child from school. It was, oh, they got their fingers smushed in a door. Now, currently we would expect some communication because everybody and their brother has a cell phone. So there would be an expectation that somebody might've called,
1: um, because there should have been a call anyway. I don't care what decade it is.
0: Well, especially because again, um, you know, after 22 years, um, I, I, that child actually still very much remembers the situation and, and, and is very clear that it was on the way to recess before lunch. So it was early in the day. Now, at the time, (laughs) we were told it happened right before the end of the day, which is why they didn't call mom, because mom was already on her way. Again, it's hard to say now. (laughs) It's been a little bit. Uh, So she got her fingers, um, they got their fingers caught in the door. um, And when they came home, it had a simple Band-Aid. So this doesn't really sound like something that should have been anything more than that until mom went to go take off the Band-Aid. And not only did the child scream, um, just an awful scream, there was a big gush of blood, and it was obvious that the finger was not necessarily intact. So those of you who are (laughs) listening are probably going, Ew. so maybe we should put a caveat on the beginning of this episode that says don't listen to if you're eating um so um at this point in time my husband was uh, a military medic and so very familiar with emergency procedures um met mom and child at the emergency room um there was x-rays done Um, and 11 stitches. So obviously this was an injury that was above and beyond a Band-Aid, regardless of what the program tried to do. (laughs) So here's a situation where the program tried to make it a Band-Aid. We do know that that program got cited, that program did not do the reporting um, within 48 hours. And um, let's just say that program really didn't last much longer. Um, And it wasn't necessarily because of me or because of this scenario alone. Um, but it
1: is something that should have been a red flag to everybody involved uh, because and you like who weren't and that center lost the enrollment of two children the next day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we didn't go back,
0: <laughs> um, uh, and I handled some details that were probably not necessarily mine to handle, but um, well, I did. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a situation where. The um, child supervision wasn't on point. Uh, The teacher was at the front of the line. Um, You know, I had a kid who had their own idea of where they wanted to go. And so they were on their own way. Um, And so they weren't being supervised and nobody really knew where they were. Um, And then um, depending on which storyline you listen to, (laughs) then there's concerns of. um, and, And just and just so if anybody knows, the fingertip is fine. Um, that child has full sensation over that fingertip, um, but it was a very um, stressful next few days for, for the parents and the child just because of infection, and we weren't really sure how long it had not been properly taken care of. So um, I don't know. Do we want to talk about... Okay, so this is one of those... We know that first aid and CPR is not mandatory for every teacher in the building. However, I disagree On a personal level, Um, I understand why perhaps um, not everybody does have it. Um, But I think it's a it's easier because then you always know you've got somebody who's
1: on staff. It makes it yeah so much easier from a staff perspective, because then you can have anybody in the classroom by themselves when the numbers go down, as opposed to, I'm sorry, you can't go home early today because you're the first aider for this classroom. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, again, I would say best practices is everyone on staff. I don't care if they're the, your cook, they're your bus driver, maybe not your janitorial staff. If you have janitorial staff, oh, but if the janitorial staff ever haven't con- come in contact with kids. Yes. I mean, I would rather just have everybody get the training because you never know when they're going to be the closest person to the person who's injured. Um, I'm going to just do a complete one, not 180, I don't know, 87 degree turn. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and talk about a place where my daughter worked um, and there was a, a lot of child supervision and only the only people who had first aid and CPR were the managers. And because that's all that was legally required.
0: Are you talking about the place that Murray also worked?
1: Yes. Okay, so it was after
0: Marie left because when yep. Marie was there, she was actually the, the highest trained staff person at 14.. Yep. <laughs>
1: um, and so um, my daughter uh, was the office manager and um, she had she was a Girl Scout all the way through and so did all the different levels of first aid except for the last one because we couldn't find anybody who met our council's criteria. The year that she wanted to do it <laughs> um and so she was very comfortable with first aid she also uh is a somewhat klutzy person and has had multiple concussions so she has that knowledge also and there was a kid who was playing um so it's an indoor gym kind of a place and um there was a kid playing and they got uh, a headlack What is that in real people words? What's a headlack? Laceration. Laceration. Laceration, Cut, scrape. Uh, Yeah. They were bleeding a lot from their forehead. And the two staff members who were supervising literally froze. You know, there's three things that happen when you're in a dangerous situation. You uh, flee, fight, or freeze. And they both froze. (laughs) My daughter's in the other room. Sees this and is like, and goes in and is like, okay, where are the gloves? Where, somebody get me some gauze. You know, she's just like right on it and doesn't understand why the parents of the child aren't doing anything and neither are the supervisors of that group of children. Um, and be aware that if you only have one staff person, for that group of children who has the first aid and CPR training, they might be a freeze person. They freeze in a crisis. And then the other person in that group maybe doesn't have the training. So while they might be you know, an action taker in a crisis, they don't know what to do. Yeah. But what the other part of that that's
0: always good is that you, the more times your staff are exposed to that training, the more comfortable they're going to be, even if they never actually have to do anything. So even if all they actually have to do is call 911, um, sitting through that training multiple times gives them the confidence that they know exactly what to say and do when they call 911.
1: So, another question is Could we do a workshop if you've got somebody on staff who has a theater background and has access to theater blood? Could we do a workshop where you know you have crisis actors come in, you know, people who are pretending to be wounded? Um, I'm sure you could find some seven and eight year olds who would be perfectly happy to act like they've been wounded, um, for your staff to practice. So, I can we could you could find some some Girl Scouts
0: who need to get a badge. Um I think that's that's great. If, yeah. And if you're looking for fake blood, you don't even have to go that far. It's called Hershey syrup and red food coloring. So, okay, I did not know that. Uh yeah, it's called a uh, uh, budget triage. Uh <laughs> because you can find high end triage for people who um generally work in the mortician community. Um however, every wilderness first aid class and above uh, does use simulations and they do simulations, uh, with, um, budget <laughs> versions of, uh, trauma looking, uh, so, you know, broken bones are really chicken bones that are just on your skin with mortician's wax. And all right. So before I keep going into that, <laughs>
1: oh my... but I'm just trying to give the the people another way for their staff to maybe get past the freeze. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's... It's hard to say what can't,
0: what will cause people to get past the freeze and what won't. Um, You know, what's their adrenaline, drunk, their adrenaline flow? Is it somebody they know? Is it somebody they don't know? Um, Is it their own child? I mean, everybody responds differently. I've never had a problem taking care of emergency first aid for my own kids or kids I know. But I also know that that's not the same for everybody. Um, So our third and final, maybe not final, our third example that we're going to use Um, is again it's another situation and it was a fluke accident so this is not something that was as a result of lack of supervision um, or sneaky behavior Um, this was absolutely after-school kids doing what after-school kids do Um, even young after-schoolers he was keep going I don't think how old he was was eight so um, and so he's just outside on the playground right he's just playing And, um, you know, they were pushing each other in one of the tire swings and pushing the tire swing around where he fell and landed on his shoulder. And again, sometimes that doesn't sound like a horrible component, except it it landed on the shoulder at just the right angle that cracked the collarbone. So um, although I wasn't there, I was also not a parent on any of the paperwork because he was visiting his dad. And so this is a situation where, uh, dad was called immediately dad knew exactly what hospital but it happens to be a situation where another major metro but they literally were two blocks from an emergency room of a hospital that was where they were going <laughs> yep. it, like we're not going to take you anywhere else that you're going over to Mount Carmel so they did they went you know he got his x-rays he was in he was out he was back at camp the he was back at his program the following day um obviously doing some different activities. Um, and they did do a write-up. Um, the biggest problem was a write-up is that there was a lot of things that were just missing. So, um, it wasn't that it was wrong. It just lacked a lot of information. So it was really hard for, um, my husband's insurance, my first husband's insurance at the time to pick up the expenses, uh, because there was a lot of information that was missing. Um, so it was one of those situations where we ended up having to go back and forth with the program to get the complete documentation. And I really do think that the the staff were early college, and I think they were just fearful for their job, and they weren't properly trained in how to document. Um, They handled the situation correct as far as who to call, when to call, who to notify, all of that bits and pieces. Our biggest problem was truly the documentation of the scenario.
1: So... You know, we've now given you three stories, you know, so, you know. We probably have some more. <laughs> oh, yeah. We could come up with more. That's why I only came up with one because I knew we were going to do your two. So, and in each of those, there's some parts that went wrong. So you, as a school leader, <laughs> um, use these as examples of things to not copy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how, what all should have been maybe changed in the infant one other than, you know, have your infant staff look in babies' mouths before, you know, when they come in from a playground, just in case they have stuck a leaf in there because leaves are choking hazards. You won't choke to death. An adult wouldn't choke to death. An older kid wouldn't choke to death, but little babies and young toddlers don't have as much blood volume. So they, it's a problem anyway and it's funny because when you were telling that story i kept waiting for you to tell me it was a poison ivy leaf and that would happen it was an elm leaf so when they did so this is back when they taught us to swipe Mm-hmm. which no longer you're, you're no longer supposed to swipe, but this was when you're supposed to swipe <laughs> and they couldn't get it. Cause it's an elm leaf and elm leaves are little. If it had been an oak leaf, this kid would have had a much less traumatic day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, maybe don't plant elm leaf, elm trees around your infant playground. I don't know. I don't, because kids will find stuff to stick in their mouth. They could do the same thing with a piece of, piece of construction paper, right? I'm thinking all those little rocks that kids stick in different places. Well, that was another story I thought about. That was the other one that immediately popped in my head was the kid who put uh, a bean in the nose and nobody knew that they'd put a bean in the nose until a little piece of green started showing at the nostril a couple of days later because the bean was growing. <laughs> <laughs> ah! um, that was, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> So that was another trip to a doctor's office. Um, but, you know, in each of the situations, you've got different steps that needed to be followed. When a child is bleeding profusely, wrapping a really tight Band-Aid on it and then not telling anyone that it happened because you're like, I messed up. I wasn't supervising and I don't want to get in trouble. Well, that's obviously what that teacher did, right? Right. They wrapped the Band-Aid up really tight so as to restrict blood flow and then didn't tell anybody until the end of the day because they were afraid they were going to get in trouble. And then in addition to that, the staff being afraid for their job, which you had in both of your situations, um, and in addition to that, you had a director who when notified that you guys took the child to seek medical care, didn't file the appropriate report with licensing. Um, And in the other situation, you had people who weren't trained in how to do the paperwork and, again, were afraid of losing their job. So we need to help our staff understand that a child getting hurt is not going to mean your job unless you lie about it. (laughs) And if you lie about it, I'm firing you. (laughs)
0: So I think one thing that's really great about all these scenarios that we can kind of use and kind of our wrap up is take these three scenarios to a staff meeting. Um, We have a lot of directors who call us who are often stuck on what to do um, or, you know, what kind of staff meeting or training should they be doing. And if you have not sat down with all of your staff to review how to document an injury and illness, some sort of episode that's happened on a playground. This is a great time to use one of our examples. Um, Even if you have examples at your program, I really discourage you from using your own programs examples because you don't want somebody to feel like they've been called out. You don't want somebody to feel like they know who you're talking about, who maybe didn't do something right, Um, or make up your own scenarios. (laughs) Just make sure they don't match ones that have ever happened at your program. And um, it's a great opportunity to walk through. Um, I know that there are programs out there who their um, um, accident report forms are literally nothing but check marks and fill in the blanks and like no narrative. Um, I don't know how that works from an insurance standpoint. That probably wouldn't have necessarily helped us any, but at least it takes the staff to fill in all the blanks. They know that they aren't putting any emotion into what happened right? It's what time and it's who, what, where, when, why, and how, you know, it's what time, where, to whom, by whom, if there was a, if there was another person involved, you know, um, just make sure that they actually really have a clue on what they're writing. If you need examples or ideas, reach out to us at, uh, Kate and Carrie at Texas, Kate or Carrie. Yeah, those are two different emails. Yeah. (laughs) Kate at Texas director or Carrie at Texas director. We may have to make one that's Kate and Carrie at Texas director. Um, but we don't want to, we have enough email to check. So, uh, (laughs) but feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what it is that you need help with. We're happy to help you come up with some additional scenarios. And if you want some of those live seven-year-olds, or they might be 10 or 11 that can just play a seven-year-old on TV.
1: Um, Anyway, so let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Have a great week and we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards.
0: Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director where we continue
1: to have seminars, licensing programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.